Artcentric Podcast with Rafi and Klee. Hola, you amazing artists. It's Rafi and Klee. And today we are going to dive into the topic of does your creative output matter? We're going to talk about how much art you create and whether or not any of that matters. Indeed. This uh, topic uh, comes up because a, a lot of times I get questions from artists that is along the lines of like, I take a long time to create stuff. You know, I don't think that it's viable for me to have an art business because it takes a long time for me to work on art. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want to contradict the whole idea that you can't have a business, an art business, if you if it takes you a long time to work on art, because it just it. The model of your business might be different, you know, your creative business. But as far as like not being able to do something because of how you create uh, that, that's where I'm like, no, no, that's not true. Yeah, I would say you should definitely never allow your pace to deter you from doing a thing. But I would say that your creative output matters as far as what you intend to do. Right. So what you intend to do is going to be sort of guided by your creative output and vice versa. Right. Right. Because, and the thing is that understanding that like different types of art, right. So for example, I have pieces that take me months to create like months to create. However, I have pieces that I could create in just a few hours. Right. Mm -hmm. So there, because I work on several different art projects, I give myself that leeway. And I think it's because we we started with doing like markets and festivals like every weekend. So every weekend I wanted to have something new that I was excited about. Me too. And so like I'd be working on my long-term pieces and then I had short-term pieces that I also worked on because I wanted to have new stuff. You know, mm -hmm. you get really excited when you have like new stuff that you're showing off. Not only that, but like I wanted to constantly be creative and working on something. That's why instead of just working on one piece, I usually have several projects going on at once. And I don't necessarily time myself when I'm when I'm working on those projects. You know, like each piece kind of dictates what it needs. Mm -hmm. And so like I'll have certain projects where I'm working on a bunch of them at once. And then, you know, like uh, like the Me and It series, right? I kind of work on those almost like a conveyor line. Because to me, even though I'm creating, let's say, 20 pieces, um, it's, it's all part of one project, right? I kind of view it as like one... One giant piece. One giant piece. And so it's easier when you're working on stuff like that, where you're working on a bunch of small ones, where it's like if the base layer is going to be the same color, then I pull out the base layer for all of them. And then in the meantime, when I get stuck on that or if I'm like, Ugh, I'm tired of doing this or whatever, because that happens. As much as we love creating art, you do get to a point sometimes with a piece where you're like, I need to walk away from this. And so I'll walk away from that. And then I have maybe my long-term pieces that I'm working on. Mm -hmm. And I would say uh, something that's come up in conversation a lot is um, some of you like the nature of what you do is like time intensive and does take you a long time. And I would say that if that's frustrating for you, I would challenge yourself to conceptualize other pieces you might be able to do more quickly just as a personal challenge 
and have that balance between the work that's long term that's going to take you a while and maybe some pieces that don't take you as long that you'll have the ability to finish faster that you might have gratification from and the ability to take out to shows or list on your site or what have you. And I would also say, obviously, the more you do something, the more proficient you're going to get at it. Like me, for example, there are certain series that I do that are difficult and intricate and very intensive. And if I did them more often, I would get faster at it, but I let their difficulty level sometimes deter me from doing them unless it's absolutely necessary because someone has ordered one, for example. Right, right. And so if I was just kind of setting aside the time to work on those more difficult ones, I also would just naturally get quicker at it. Yeah, I think that that's a, that's a really good point to bring up because, uh, first off, it's easy to get stuck in a routine of doing things a certain way, right? So, and this is this is one of the big uh, hiccups that I've run into the longer that I've done this, right? Because you become really good at doing something a certain way, and sometimes it's very time intensive, mm-hmm. and you end up saying like, "Well, I can't do it, do something this way because this is how I do it." And in reality, it's like that kind of you, – you start experimenting a little bit less and what will happen is you start having less fun when mm-hmm. you're creating, right? Because everything kind of – it's like step one is this, step two is this, step three is this. It can be really a trap. So I love the idea of challenging yourself to just kind of like try to do something that maybe is a little bit quicker, right? Understanding fully that when you first go to do it, like it's going to suck. It's going to be horrible. Yeah, uh, recently I tried a different <clears throat> approach to a specific pendant that I have in in the shop just to see what the workflow would look like and honestly like it was really clunky. The end result was good, but I wouldn't say that that approach was really successful, but you don't know unless you try. Yeah, exactly. So- <laughs> Hi, Debbie. Welcome to the stream. So for everybody listening to this at home, we have our amazing Rogue Artist family here with us. These are artists from all around the world that always include their insight, questions, comments, uh, just about anything. Experiences. Experiences in all the topics that we bring up. And honestly, they're the ones that make these live streams so insightful. So thank you guys for being here. The I, I want to continue on this right because i want to continue on the point of where people say that it's impossible because maybe something is time intensive Mm -hmm. and in order to combat that um i think really we have to talk about pricing and money when when that's concerned Mm -hmm. when, when there is that concern i will say right now that for pieces that take me much longer the price point, the value on those is much higher, right? Because I know that a piece... So I, because of experience, I think about this, you know, like in future terms, almost like when it comes to pricing, right? So let's say that there's a specific type of art that I did and I know that I worked on that for two months, right? And let's say that somebody sees that. I always keep in mind, what if somebody sees this and says, I really love that, I would... Can you create something like they want to commission me for something, right? At that point, I'm like the price point for the original 
needs to be up there if I know that it's going to take that long because that's the timeline that I'm going to probably quote. Actually, for commissions, I would usually add a couple weeks to mm-hmm. to whatever it is that I'm working on. And so you want to be fair with yourself and make sure that you pay yourself enough to spend that time working on something. Definitely. A good example is a friend of ours that he does portraiture in oil. Um, His timeline is three months. Mm -hmm. And he makes sure that he is paying himself correctly for that three months. For those three months. Even though, like, you know, when you're working on something, you're not sitting there 24 hours a day for three months. You know, you're working on it for a few hours here and a few hours there. But, like, all of that, you have to equate all of that into your pricing. Most definitely. And that's where it's like, so if you create less work, you just charge more for it. Now, the question that we get a lot surrounding that is, yes, that's great. I'm going to spend two, three months working on this. I'm going to charge what it's worth for my time and the materials. It's going to be priced pretty high. Um, And that's awesome when it sells. But a lot of folks then say, well, but I'm not selling that kind of work consistently enough to pay the bills. So that's great. I have all these expensive pieces that I'm not moving. Maybe I'm selling one of those per month but I need to be selling more than that. Or maybe I'm selling a couple of them a year and I need to be selling more than that in order to actually cover the bills. And so that's where that's where we have historically encouraged uh, also working in those smaller scale pieces that you can put out there that are going to be an easier purchase for somebody who maybe doesn't have several thousand dollars to spend on a work of art that's going to help buffer you if you're not moving large artwork consistently enough to cover your expenses. I mean, that's one of the places where I, I remember uh, doing shows and there were a few artists that would come out to shows and all they had were like big expensive works. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times those artists looked miserable at shows because, you know, people come in, they they look at the art, the art is beautiful. But like, it's almost like when you're selling art, you forget what it's like to be someone who buys things, right? Yeah. You don't just go to a festival with like thousands of dollars in your pocket looking to to purchase a thing. Like, it's that thing that really stands out to you. And there are so many factors involved, right? So, wow, that artwork really stands out to me. The first question is, how much is it? Do I have the finances to be able to do it? The next question is, do I have the room if I buy this thing to put it in my house, right? And so, like, there's a lot of factors involved in making a sale of a large-scale expensive piece versus selling small, what I like to call the introductory drug, right? That's the, the thing that formulates, begins the relationship between you and the buyer of your art, where you have these smaller pieces that don't take you as long to create Mm -hmm. that are at what would be a reasonable price. And with a reasonable price, I'm talking about anywhere between $20 to even $200. Those are that like... I love to have something across the board between those prices that will hit every kind of buyer that might come in. And the awesome side effect of doing that is that when you have pieces that are in that range, 20 to 200, you automatically sort of don't feel as bad 
for having super expensive pieces as well because you're not alienating people at this point. Right. And that's a question that we would get a lot too. All my pieces are 2000 to $5,000. Nobody can afford them in my area. What should I do? Should I lower the price? And our answer is no, you shouldn't lower the price. Just create stuff that's a lower price. And and keep your <laughs> keep your higher price pieces. Because you have to realize like there are there are certain venues where that's expected, where you go into the venue and basically every work of art in the venue is going to be upwards of $5,000, right? So those venues are going to promote to that kind of clientele or they already have that kind of clientele. Honestly, it, it's not – you can't really promote based on pricing. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to – it it really depends on the reputation of the venue and who their previous clientele were. So there are certain shows that you might be invited to that typically they have a, a you know a, a an audience that maybe is up there in price. Kelly says like my pen and ink they are way more expensive than my acrylics because the amount of time it takes to do pen and ink. Yeah, exactly. But people only see black and white and think it was easier. That's where it's your job as the artist to educate people. Yeah. Because they're not going to know. Right? Also, also Kelly, it's important. It is very, very important that that generalization doesn't happen in your brain where you make a blanket statement where it's like people just blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Because honestly, um, people don't. There are some people that understand how much work goes into pen and ink. And then there are people that don't. They just see a black and white. And they so it's like if you find yourself saying that to yourself, really, you're kind of discouraging yourself uh, by telling yourself a reality that's not real. You know what I mean? Sure. There's a lot of people out there that may not think that there's a lot of work to it. But that's where you come in and you educate those people. I want to snap back to um, specifically the output and just make a sort of example comparison um, and and a thought to just throw out there. Um, So what I do, most of my pieces are under $1,000. In fact, most of my pieces on average are in the low hundreds range or even less. Like I have pieces for $20. I have pieces for $200. I have a handful of pieces that are more than that. I'm going to be, in order to cover my expenses, I'm going to be producing more pieces than somebody whose average price is $1,000 and up. One of my um, jeweler friends that I collaborate with, his pieces average in the thousands, right? Usually he's not doing under 5,000. His average work is probably five to 10,000. So for him, he's working on one piece in a month and that one piece is covering his expenses for the month. Me, I'm working on quite a few pieces in a month in order to cover my expenses. And But really what that breaks down to is kind of the same, right? Because it's going to take him longer to create that $10,000 piece than it's going to take me to create a $100 piece. But right. I think that the idea there is to be consistently working, whether it is on a long-term thing or it is on many shorter-term things, or it is on a balance of longer-term and shorter-term things, the thing that really works is to be consistently doing something creative, right? Um, And also to know, 
to know what you need as far as covering like if you're trying to do this full time to know what you need to be pulling in monthly and to be aiming for that that is very important that is a very important uh topic whether to it's discuss. yeah whether it's large scale expensive or small scale impulse items or a mixture of both uh this is where you know Rafi and I know what we need to be at monthly and so that's not in the foreground of our brain jars because money's not a good motivator, as you've heard us say. But if you're doing this as your career and you're tr- or you're trying to make this your career, then that helps you kind of gauge where your output, ideally, you want it to be, right? Um, and if you're going to be at that $10,000 mark for a piece of artwork, then you have... Uh, a, a a bigger breadth of time to produce that work than if you're selling hundred dollar pieces. Yeah, I think I think really um, you hit the nail on the head as far as like the you know coming up with the pricing for your pieces because one of the biggest issues that I have is whenever I ask like any creative you know they're like I'm really struggling I'm like well how much money do you need to make every month in order to be in the clear with your bills, you know, and it'll be like, Oh, I don't know. Like, uh, you know, I figure blah, blah, blah. And it'll be like the first time that they start adding up their totals. And I'm like, you really, you really have to have a handle on your money in and money out type of scenario and give yourself a budget, not a budget that's going to uh, dictate what it is that you do, Right. But just so that you have a general idea of where it is that you need to be financially. And um, not only that, but it allows you to look at what are you actually spending your money on? Is there any way to cut out those expenses so that your uh, break even point is, is lower? Is lower. In the beginning, um, Rafi and I were producing a tremendous amount of work because we were doing a tremendous amount of shows. But we also, and we didn't have anything else going on. That was what we were doing. We also reduced our living expenses down to the bare minimum survivable amounts because we wanted to not feel that desperation going in. Yeah. Um, and it's also not to say that the artwork itself needs to be your sole source of income because you can absolutely buffer your income with passive uh, income streams, print on demand, teaching classes. You've heard us talk about this. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, multiple streams of income. Um, but when you're getting started and you're wanting to like put your artwork out there, output matters as far as what we're talking about right, right now. Right, and that's where that's where output does matter because you do want to have some. You know, a lot of people are like, uh, you know, kind of like what Zara says here. Yep, 50000 a year. Got to calculate how much you'll need to make and sell. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will say like, oh, well, I want to make I want to make $100,000 a year. And you really have to understand, well, what does that look like? How much work is that? At what price point is the work? Where am I showing it? How often am I showing it? Like mm-hmm. there are so many factors that come. And that's why I think thinking about the financial part is important, right? Not letting it dictate your actions or especially not letting it get you into a place of desperation, but giving yourself so that you satiate that analytical side of your brain, giving yourself a plan 
right? A foundation. A foundation, right? If you want to sell $100,000 worth of art every year, do you create $100,000 worth of art every year? Do you have the capability to create $100,000 worth of work a year? It, I, I was very surprised because I was like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, like early on, I was like, I'm going to make, I'm going to make all this money and all this stuff. And I started calculating like how much work I create. And I realized like, oh man, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to get there at the rate that I'm going. Like, right. what can I do that will at least give me the opportunity to make that? You know, the the opportunity to make that. Um, this is also helpful in gauging where you want to be as far as the cost of doing events. Like, yes, especially, <laughs> okay, if I want to do a trade show or a big show, uh, some of these shows, the entry fee is $2,000 and up. If I want to do that, then the question I need to ask myself is, how much work would I need to have at said show in order to make sense, right? I feel like I'm going to need to come in with at least $10,000 worth of work at a show like that. I was going to say 50000 Absolutely, if you can. Yeah. 10000 would be the minimum for a show that costs 2000 to do, plus travel expenses. How long would it take me to produce ten dollars to $50,000 worth of work? Do I have that space this year as I'm thinking about this show to produce that work because the last thing I want to do is pay that money out and put myself in a position where then I don't have the time to produce the work that I would want to produce for said show. That's I, I want to say that that's one of the issues is that a lot of times like you really do, you you really have to, and what I recommend is that you do this as a game, right? Where you pull out your calculator and you just kind of like, play around with it. Okay, so I want to make this much. If I sell art at $50, how many pieces would I need to create? If I sold art at $100, how many pieces do I need to create, right? I constantly, like whenever I'm thinking of a new project and I'm thinking of pricing points, right? And I'm like, okay, this is this is what I want to create. Like I give myself some kind of like set number and that kind of dictates like where, how many, how many of them I want to create in a series. Um, Leslie says, great commentary as always. Put yourself in the buyer space and give yourself a budget to participate in hashtag art life. Love it. Um, And Zara is mentioning something that we've talked about before, which is you're not going to sell out of all your art, right? So typically at a show or an event, you would want to bring out many times more artwork than you uh, are actually going to sell. Zara is saying three times more. For us, it was actually four. For for me, it was like I had I did it via percentages, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, chances are at this show, and this was just each show. Chances are at this show, I may sell ten percent of the value that I bring out, right? And that's one of the reasons that I created so much art because, mm-hmm. like, you know, my calculation was the lowest possible denominator. Yeah. Um, and I and it was great for me because, you know, if I brought out some work and I sold even a little bit less than 10 percent, then it was like pretty accurate. Um, so like whenever I do a show or and something and if I sold more than 10 percent, then that was awesome. On a really, really good weekend or a really good event. 
I was bumped up near 25%, right? Which is still a quarter of what you brought out. And I I personally never really crossed that threshold. I've never had a sellout show. But I was showing up to shows with 200 to 300 pieces of jewelry. We had shows that came close to, like, some unexpected, like, tiny little shows that that we did that I was, like, looking at my walls and I was like, holy shit, I'm selling a lot of pieces. And, you know, and usually in those tiny little shows... Like, I'd bring out, like, one big expensive piece and then a bunch of, like, little ones, right, that were easy to transport. That's the other part of, like, creating smaller, easier art is that it's easy to transport. And you don't have to stress out so much about what it, what might befall it at a show, right? If you're bringing out a $5,000 painting to a show, there's going to be a part of you that's real nervous about that. Real nervous, especially if the wind picks up. <laughs> <laughs> that thing uh, I've had I've had paintings take off like a sale. So and yeah, it's not to say don't do it right because you want to showcase as big a range of what you can do as possible. So you know you want to bring out the big showstopper work, but definitely uh, the artists that bring out all big showstopper work, all really expensive. It's a gamble, right? Yeah. Because if they sell one piece, then they're set, and that's awesome. But that doesn't always happen. Anhan asks, would it make sense for someone like me just starting with shows and fairs to enter one with a $500 fee? Okay. I, uh, so not knowing personally how you feel on the inside, what your level of readiness is, and what what your artwork inventory looks like right now, I'm just going to say for me, when I was just starting out, $500 was out of the question for me. I mean, I'll be honest with you on hand. Like at this point with us being, you know, over a decade in. It's still. $500 is something that I would like really. Scrutinize. I would scrutinize the shit out of that festival because I'm like, okay, um, that's a big investment. Mm -hmm. And. So a lot of the shows that we did, you know, we did the market. The market ended up being like $20, $25 a week. Mm-hmm. Um, we did other like art walks that were usually $50. Um, we did some of the some of the like festivals, like the one that the museum had on Mother's Day was like $125. Mm-hmm. I want to say that the moment that things started getting up over the $350 mark, Right. Like I started really scru- honestly, once it got over two hundred dollars, I started really, really scrutinizing. Yeah, that was me, too. Also, because and now this is just my personal opinion. So take it with a grain of salt. Those big shows that draw big crowds were never any more lucrative for us than the little shows. Yeah. In fact, I really didn't like them and I didn't like the experience of having so much traffic and not even really being able to interact with people. Also, For us personally, and so we might not even be the best barometer for this, we didn't apply to a lot of those shows because a lot of those shows wouldn't let us set up together Yeah, because we have two different mediums that we work in. And we would would contact them and be like, listen, we'll pay for two booth spaces as long as we could set up together because for us it was like, again, it's one of those things where like that stuff wasn't motivated by money. For us it was like, well, we have a lot of fun. We allow ourselves to have a lot of fun and meet a lot of people when we do shows together. And I just, I loved the way that our booth layout looked with the jewelry and the artwork. And 
and you know cleaves my person so i was like if we're gonna do this have this experience we're a team we're a team i want to have this experience together and a lot of those big you know quote-unquote prestigious shows didn't didn't allow that for whatever reason and so you know a lot of times we just didn't do it was like all right even if we had the money i was like yeah i don't want to do that i will say this if you have the ability to do a $500 show without putting yourself in a strained situation, then by all means, you know, if it's something you want to do, then I would do it. If you if $500 to do a show isn't a big deal for you financially, inventory-wise or stress levels-wise, then you're emotionally ready to do it. And if you're looking at it as a chance to meet a heck of a lot of people and at least interact with each of those people for a couple seconds, then by all means, have that experience. And that's how I feel about it. But if it's going to put you in financial dire straits or emotional distress, then I would say reconsider it. Yeah. And and scrutinize that show. I would say that also the other the other part of that and on hand I, I get it because like those the big shows that charge a lot of money, a lot of that money is part of their marketing budget. So whenever you're looking for festivals and shows, it always feels like that's all that exists because they're the ones that are advertising advertising and promoting themselves to artists. You know, they're the ones that put out those those call to artists. The the best way that we have found shows is a we did the the Pal Fox Market, which is a farmers market, and they had a an art section there, mm-hmm. right? So it was not very expensive, and we met a lot of people because that happened every Saturday. So we met a lot of people, and a lot of people would say, "Hey, there's this peanut festival going on here." So I would say, like, expand your first off, expand your reach to things that are maybe not necessarily geared towards artists, but do have like artist sections. Um, small towns, a lot of small towns are trying to motivate people to go visit them. So they'll do like a first Friday art walk and stuff like that. I would take a look at a lot of stuff like that. I would contact like local arts councils and see what kind of events they do throughout the year that are open to artists. Um, also like nonprofit galleries. There's a lot of nonprofit galleries that do a call to artists every month to Mm -hmm. be able to show yourself. It's, In my mind, I'm like, if I'm able to break that $500 down, especially getting started to small bits here and there, then I'm giving myself a budget to be able to show my art more at more location than one and done. Which, yeah, for us, that was absolutely the way that we chose to do. Um, Zara said, yeah, I would want to do shows as a way to meet my audience and and they need to get to know me. Yeah, exactly. Laura said, I really enjoy the interactions I have with people at the $15 shows that are just genuinely trying to support artists. Yeah, exactly. I love that kind of stuff. And there's always stuff. There's there's always that's the thing. It is very easy to see to, to find the big the big shows. Right. And unfortunately, there isn't much. I know that certain locations, I know that there is an artist here in Pennsylvania that actually like has a list that you could buy of all like the small shows that happen in the area Mm -hmm. Um, there. And I know that other places do that, too. But it's not like information that is readily available that you could go to one place and find that Mm -hmm. for especially for wherever it is that you are. You really do have to allow yourself to search 
to just search and kind of look, look for keywords, you know, things like art walks, put the town name, whatever town it is or city or anything and type in art walks as if when you're looking for events to do yourself, pretend that you are an art connoisseur or you are somebody that is just looking for something to do and you're looking for this kind of event and, and search the interwebs for that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, small towns, they do a, a piss poor job of promoting yeah. their events, but still, you know, like local people will find out. I know a lot of like older towns where there's an older population, like a lot of information just comes out in the newspaper because they still rely on newspapers to get their, their information on yeah. what's going on and not so much the internet. That's one of the things that is happening that happens here in this amazing town that we're in, they have, you know, for Artist Sunday, they're doing this huge event where they have artists uh, participating with local businesses. Citywide. Citywide, all these cool events. But like when you go to look for information, there might, there's just a Facebook events post, right? So it's like, you kind of have to you kind of have to like really dig in and, and start looking for things. And also once you, once you start that process where you do find things and you're doing it, I, I could tell you right now, most of the small shows that we found out about was because we were already doing a small show. And then an artist at that location would either say like, Oh, you know what? There's this other, are you doing this show or whatever? And that, that's how we would find out about shows. Yeah. Or even like art patrons would be like, Oh, I think your work would do really well at this show. Yeah. Um, and just really listening for those things on hand said, you hit the nail on the head. A lot of what I see are those $500 to enter yeah. shows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You got to give yourself, give yourself time to find the things that you want to go to. There are because because when you're looking, it seems like those are the only shows that are out there. And it's they're not. There's they're so not. many little shows. So many artists like whenever I talk about this, come at me. They come at me, bro. They come at me with like, well, every show is blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, you're not looking. You're you're. And if you are looking, you're giving up too quickly. Like you, you have to look. You have to really, really look. And sometimes, sometimes depending on where you're at, you got to really dig, mm -hmm. and and expand your locale from your town to the surrounding small towns and cities and and things within like, that. like a two hour radius. It yeah. doesn't even have to be like a big, huge radius. We were able to do it in Florida. Um, there's a lot of big expensive shows in Florida, but there's a ton of little inexpensive shows. Um, same thing here. And it was the truth in Chicago, too, right? You didn't have to do the Gold Coast Art Festival. No. There were bajillions of little shows and pop-ups um, in, in, in all the In all the towns, there was one in Joliet, which I was surprised to find. Small galleries, you know, that also did, like, call to artists and things like that. Like you, you look at the different communities when you're in Chicago. Yeah. You have the Chicago art shows, but then there's, um, shows that are in Cicero. There are shows that are in, you know, different places want to do different events. And that's the thing. It's like looking at stuff like that. Charity said in the smaller towns, I've called the chamber of commerce or their town hall. And they are more than happy to let you know the events going on for the year. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's great charity. Yeah. Chamber of commerce, town hall, Local Arts Council, uh, statewide arts councils. Um, there, there's just look at that kind of stuff to find information 
Um, understand that most of those sites that promote art shows for you to sign up to, those are paid for advertisements by the ones that are putting the festivals together. You're and seeing those artist entry fees at work. Yes, <laughs> right exactly. There. Exactly. Um, so I want to snap back to does your creative output matter? And I'm glad that we covered this area of it and doing these shows. But I also just wanted to say, I think maybe even more so than does your output matter is uh, being real with yourself about your output. And yeah. also being transparent and communicative with potential buyers and clients about your output, right? Don't agree to six commissions for the month of November if you can only do one. Right. Um, and this is a this is hard earned wisdom because I used to just take them in as I got them, and a commission can take me anywhere from uh, a a week, two weeks, to two years. It turns out I have one that's going that's going on two years now and i'm like you know as long as you're real with yourself about your creative output and you can communicate that then i think you can establish a a, a thing that works for you and what you want to do and also really it matters as far as like your own internal goals oh yeah if you want to get better if you want to get better at something quick then do it more yeah do it more quicker so you can do it more gooder. <laughs> if if you um, want to really push yourself to create stuff, right, to to create more stuff, let's say that you want to have more of a creative output, right, and you want to give yourself, like what we recommend is to have something across the board, something for everyone. That's that's where I'm at. That's, the, that's where I come from because mm-hmm. I love it when somebody comes into the booth and maybe sees – something you know or they come into the exhibition they see something that is big and expensive and they fall in love with it but they just can't afford it and yet they're able to get this other thing right that is more within their price range because i've because i want that person to be able to go home with that as far as a marketing point of view It's brilliant because now this person is going to take home a work of art that they love. There's a good association to it, right? Because chances are they had a conversation with us about the work. And then they hang it on their wall and there is a constant reminder in their house that Rafi, the artist, exists. Anybody comes in, they see the artwork, they're like, wow, that's really nice. Then they tell the story of how they found this artist and there was this big piece and like luckily they had something that was a little bit smaller and and what the experience was, a positive experience, right? That is forever. As long as it's hanging in their house, that is forever. Mm -hmm. It is a talking point. It is a thing. So it's either I'm doing that making sure that there's something for everyone, right? Really pushing pushing myself creatively to try and create something of value that is still powerful but is not taking me a lot of time, still giving time to the bigger expensive pieces that are going to take a lot of time, but allowing myself to think not this is a quick fix, right? Because if I sell the $2,000 or $3,000 or $5,000 piece, that's great. That's a quick fix. Like now I've got now I've got money for the next month or so. If I sell the smaller piece, 
now I've got something out there that will live on, right, with someone. And that's the that's the way that I see it. Like, it's an ecosystem. It's an ecosystem. You know, like they both of them have their place. One of them, it's you know, a lot of the the idea behind it is financial. I've known artists that only create expensive pieces and go out to shows because what they're wanting is to get that quick that quick fix. Yeah. You know, and it's and it really isn't about building that relationship with someone and for me it's all about building a relationship. I've sold I've sold plenty of big expensive pieces, but I could tell you right now rarely rarely have I sold a big expensive piece right off the bat to someone. Usually the relationship starts with something small that they got from me. And then it works up to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think for my final kind of thought on this, I want to kind of talk about the flip side, right? Um, so for me, it's like I want to be working on my craft consistently for me and for my business and for what I know, uh, you know, is going to help me continue to do what I do musically, jewelry-wise, all the things. However, <laughs> it's my terms, and it is not the hustle culture terms that the selling platforms train us into. And I just want to touch on this because the selling platforms often make you feel like you're never doing enough no matter what you do. you got to have this many orders a week. you got to be producing them in less than five days and getting them out the door, and you got to be hustle, hustle, hustle. Right. And you could look at that and be like, there's no way I can do that. Right. If you're aiming for that as a personal goal, it's a much different feeling than if you're feeling like this is written in stone and this is what it takes this is the to only, make it in this world. This is the only way that I'm going, going to be able to succeed. Right. Because that's that's what they want. You know what? The selling platforms want you to produce a lot of work. Because um, it feeds their cash because coffers. It fe- yeah, exactly. It feeds them. So it, it, it's all based on their own ability to promote and make money for themselves. They're not there to help the artist. Right. Right. Because I'll be honest with you. Anybody that I talked to that got trained into that way of, of creating. I did. It, it's it's a nightmare. It is. It's a nightmare. It's <laughs> constant stress, constant work, and like really, that's not the way that it should be. Yeah. So um, don't <clears throat> let external forces bully you into feeling like you need to produce far greater amounts of work than you are capable of doing. I've been on that emotional roller coaster, and I can tell you that it is one of the quickest ways to burn out that exists in the world. Work on your creative output for you at your pace because of internal motivators. Don't be pushed around by any of the selling platforms. I'm still working through PTSD when it comes to turnaround time on art because I was trained into three to five days for anything, doesn't matter how difficult it is, from the selling platforms. Right now, my production time on our website says average seven to 14 days, and that still stresses me out, right? That's too long. Two weeks is too long to make somebody wait. I'm not Amazon. Right. <laughs> That's If you have to remind yourself that every day until you work past it, a lot of us that have been on selling platforms are going to have to work through this. Then remind yourself every single day that you are a human, 
not Amazon. You are a human. You work at a human pace. Yep. And that's okay. And if somebody doesn't want your human pace, then they can shop at Amazon. And that's all good and fine. Don't be bullied into unreasonable production timelines. Exactly. Laura said, I have a lot of good conversation come from people connecting with my larger original pieces and they end up buying a print or a sticker afterwards because they enjoyed the interaction we had. Exactly. Boom. You hit the nail on the head. You hit the nail on the head. You want to have stuff that is affordable because they're going to interact with you, right? The big art, all the art that you have, that's your, that's your like billboard whenever you're anywhere, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons that not only did I hang art inside the booth, but if we were facing the street, I had artwork hanging where people driving by could see the art, could see artwork. Even if it wasn't show, like people that were at the show couldn't see it. Like for me, it was like my art is the best marketing that I have of if you dig this, come in and you're going to have a great experience. Mm -hmm. Even if you can't afford the art, a lot of times, I mean, think about it. Have you ever like met someone and you had a great interaction with them and you end up just wanting to give back in some way, shape or form? Um, it's, It's really great to have something for that. And I think that it it allows you to think of your art business in a much more realistic way where it's like you under you understand that you're going to meet all types of people and you're going to meet people that is just everything is too expensive and you're going to meet people that everything is like, wow, you need to charge a lot more, Mm -hmm. you know, so but but it's all about having that interaction and making that connection with someone. It's like dating. You know, like it really it's, is. It's you basically, you know, that the, the the smaller pieces or the prints, that's like the love letters that get exchanged before there's big commitment. And that's that's a it's a great way to look at that. Thank you for sharing that, Laura. And I'm just going to reiterate that, uh, you know, our our intention to have new work at every show or to have new work on a regular basis online is so that we stay excited yeah. about being there or about sharing that. It's really not for other people. Yeah. It's all happening in here. <laughs> you finish something new and you put it out there and you feel like a badass. You're like, you know? look what I did. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing, like creating new stuff, uh, whatever it is that you're it gives you gives you the the bragging points. It gives you the ability to like share something and post something and and really interact with people and be excited about something new. I mean, I get excited about my old, you know, my my paintings that I've had for a while. Mm-hmm. I love them, but I'm always way more excited about the new stuff that I just created. Because it's you just made it. Because you just made it, yeah. yeah. So I I think that as far as like, does your creative output matter? A good way to answer that question is yes and no. Yes, in the fact that like you want to understand what your budget is. And what your goals are and make sure that you are at reasonable, reasonable with yourself mm-hmm. and producing what it is that you would need to produce in order to be able to do what you want to do in order to be able to make those finances. But it doesn't matter in the fact that like most of those are your own personal goals. It doesn't matter as far as external pressures yeah exactly exactly. Um, or expectations or parameters 
or even hustle culture ideas. Yeah, forget the hustle culture. It's uh, hustle culture is not sustainable, and honestly, it's not real. It's it's just bullshit. And I'll just say, if being a slowpoke meant that you couldn't have a viable art business, then I wouldn't have one. Yes, <laughs> because I am a slowpoke in all things. I am meticulous, and I take my time, even at things that I'm very proficient at, um, and. You know, that's why I have a wide range of stuff that's different timelines that I do. And I would say that that's it. That brings it to a close. Thank you so much to the Rogues for being here. You guys are absolutely amazing. Thank you for sharing your insight in this podcast. And for everybody at home, thank you so much for listening to us. And if you like this and you'd like to subscribe to us or follow us or whatever platform you're on, uh, go ahead and do that. And other than that, you want to say goodbye, Clee? Good day. Adios. Adios.